Hi, and welcome back to the Sister Cast, episode four. I'm Amanda. And I am Zoe. Have you had a pumpkin spice latte yet this season? I have not, but I do happen to have three tabs open on my computer for pumpkin spice baking recipes. Really? Yes. <laughs> Did you have a pumpkin spice latte last year? Yes, definitely. I usually have one. I, I'm not a big sweet coffee drinker. Um, so, and then the pumpkin syrup that they use is not great if it's not paired with the whipped cream and the sugar and all that. Um, so, but I have one. Yeah. I think that the pumpkin spice latte is an interesting phenomenon that we can talk about. I mean, it's something that everyone wishes they were the ones to invent. Mm -hmm. Pumpkin spice lattes are now really ingrained in our culture. Absolutely. Like, like, I mean, it was started by Starbucks? It was. Yeah, so okay. it started actually in 2003. Oh, wow. The okay. very first pumpkin latte came out October 10th, 2003. Very late in the season. Compared to this year. What is it? September 1st? Uh, it came out August 27th. Oh, my gosh. In 2019, the pumpkin yeah. spice latte came out August 27th. The earliest pumpkin spice release date uh, yet yeah I think the year before it came out like August 28th they literally keep pushing it just by a day right but yeah so what are we was it 17 years how many uh, 2003 so yeah, 16 years 16 years ago it came out so in the past 16 years it's been part of our and it's just taken over everything the in the past year it had 15 percent growth so it's just getting bigger yeah like because I like to th I think we are at peak pumpkin spice like maybe three years ago. It's interesting. But it keeps growing. Like you can't go to the grocery store and not see like pumpkin spice Cheerios and yeah. pumpkin spice. I do wonder, you know, about it's that whole um, early adopter, right? That that arc, which yep. the, the other points I can't remember because the early right. adopters are the ones we all focus on. But there's but the early adopter is only like 10 percent of the market. And then there's another big 25 percent that trust those people and follow them and then there's like laggards who are skeptics and aren't willing to try my husband has never tried a pumpkin spice latte never really and he never will because yeah that's not his bag S sweet things sweet lattes are definitely not his thing nothing with whipped cream on it but um but i mean he is he is in a cohort of people absolutely who are resistant you know we're going to disney in October and um they have a pumpkin spice milkshake right which is just I mean it is <laughs> it is a large thing it, it is it is tall and it has this straw that has a giant pumpkin Mickey marshmallow on it that you eat at it's like a, it's a it's a pumpkin pie in a cup yeah. And it's the same volume of food there's there reaches a point where I'm like how do you consume all of that but people love it and I don't think it's because we all love the taste of pumpkin that much you know <laughs> I think there's an emotional connection between mm. pumpkin spice what does it make you think of fall and yeah. Thanksgiving and warm cozy yeah so um, boots jeans plaid shirts it's a rite of passage so yeah. you said your husband has never had the pumpkin spice latte my husband says he's an OG pumpkin spice fan oh he was he a fan from the beginning he was a teen well, not a teen. He remembers getting it when it first came out. Because so we... Uh, oh, right. 16 years ago, we weren't teenagers. <laughs> we were not teenagers. <laughs> so my husband and I actually started dating, I think, in 2006. End of 2006. And by that point, he had already had a pumpkin spice yeah, latte. Yeah. So I very much remember getting pumpkin spice lattes with him. And your husband is absolutely an early adopter on so many things. Yeah. So now he's so annoyed. We usually get one one a year, just sort of... Mm -hmm. But we have actually don't like them anymore. They're 
all, our, 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 maybe our tastes have changed. Right. But um, in 2015, they actually changed the formula of the pumpkin Ooh. spice latte uh, to make it more authentic. To, it actually has a little bit of pumpkin in it. Before, it was just right. like caramel. Uh, but a couple um, things I wanted to quickly mention on the pumpkin spice latte. It almost didn't happen. Tell me more. So the Starbucks, when they kind of invented it, uh, they thought that the flavor overpowered the coffee too much. Accurate. And that's not Starbucks's way. Right. Right. So so like a vanilla latte enhances the coffee. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. when they created it, they were like, well, no, this tastes like so different that they almost shelved it, but it kept going. And they're glad they did, obviously. Yeah. Yep. Can I segue here? Sure. Do you know off the top of your head the Christmas Starbucks lattes? The yeah the, the the um the holiday flat whites and the eggnog lattes. The eggnog latte. The juniper. Okay, so the <laughs> eggnog latte. I think again, I think in the last episode I joked about losing Popeyes as a potential sponsor <laughs> for our mega <laughs> podcast here. We're about to lose Starbucks Uh-oh. too. Because I think that the, I like eggnog on its own. Right. I love coffee. Love coffee. And I think that when you add eggnog to coffee, it so radically changes the taste. It tastes like pine salt. Well, what you need to do is do an eggnog chai latte. Oh, that would be acceptable. Right. I think. Because yeah. it's the. But um, I think I just think that the bitter coffee yeah. and the rich eggnog do not go together at all. And it does a weird thing in my mouth. And I, whereas pumpkin spice, it's interesting because until you said that bit of history, I would not have guessed that. But I definitely think that about the eggnog. Okay, back on pumpkin. So one more thing on eggnog, um, eggnog latte. If you ask for it extra hot, it will scramble like a little bit of eggs. That's disgusting. (laughs) That is awful. Starbucks does not put that in their, in their marketing. Now holiday drinks are back. Eggnog latte. Don't ask for it. Extra hot. If there are any baristas listening here, I need to tell you just (laughs) how much I love your cold brew. Like I am an addict. Okay, you're pointing at me. What else do you have here? Starbucks this year has announced the pumpkin cream cold brew. I wish that on the podcast you could see my face right now. What? (laughs) That's right. Pumpkin. Pumpkin cream cold brew. So it's cold brew with cream and the and pumpkin. pumpkin syrup. This is the first time that Starbucks has introduced a new pumpkin spice drink. And it's the pumpkin cream cold brew. No. Okay. So <laughs> of course, Starbucks is not the only one offering pumpkin uh, spice beverages. They oh, were the yeah, first. Like McDonald's has it now. Everyone has yeah. them. In Canada, Tim Hortons has them. And I have to admit, I broke down. I wasn't Did going you try? to. On Friday, so yeah, we were, we record these podcasts usually on a Monday. Um, it was three days ago. It was still August, and I had a pumpkin spice ice cap at Tim Hortons. And did it taste like dessert? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like I w- I saw this thing at Disney, the picture of it because yeah. we're going to Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween yeah. party. Um, and I saw this, and it's a drink that's only available at the Halloween party, which is an after-hours thing, blah, blah, blah. So everyone's really excited about it. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, does, doesn't anyone else go into a diabetic coma after they drink things like that? Like, I, only had half, I only had half of it. I was yeah. bouncing off the walls. It was the yeah. Friday leading into the long weekend. And 
I got sucked in by the marketing. I was because um, yeah. I had been hearing about pumpkin sp- spice lattes on the radio all week because on the Monday they came out. Yeah. So everyone was tweeting about it and everyone was talking about it on the radio. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. Friday, I'm in the drive-through. I was there to get a which is like probably those ten exposures double doubles. to a suggestion. Then there was the beautiful artwork right there at the <laughs> yeah. with the pumpkin spice Leaves latte falling down the the graphic probably. And I was like, I'm in. I deserve it. <laughs> okay. I've worked hard. So what is the marketing? Um, like what is the sales profile there? Are they hoping that? everybody buys one and everybody buying one means that there's just higher volume going through drive-thrus or something like I don't I mean I don't work in retail right so the retail marketing is something which is a little bit beyond our scope we're just observers absolutely but it's really interesting If, if you and I are both kind of that target demographic Maybe we're not. Maybe it worked we're, on me. I bought it. It worked on you. But I'll you never buy one. another one. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> it wasn't very good. Whereas the pumpkin spice muffins. Yep. Um, I probably buy one or two a week over the period that they're available. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I guess the first thing is if your competition is doing it, you're doing yeah, it. Yeah, right. Which is how that comes to be. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's very successful for Starbucks. So then everyone else started doing it. And now people have their choices of where they can get pumpkin spice. Is it is it successful for Starbucks in actually selling pumpkin spice lattes? Or is it successful for Starbucks in general in getting people through the doors? Or both? The two go hand in hand. The two go hand in hand. It is interesting, though, like, like how much their brand is tied to something which is both loved and vilified but they're talking about it oh they're talking about it so this is the question is was pumpkin spice latte going to be successful regardless of marketing or did starbucks launch this product do amazing marketing so like the question is is it such a rock star product that it was going to fly and they were just lucky that they were the ones that came up with it? Or did they turn something which is just a vegetable into a truly like winning marketing campaign that drives the sales of a product, which is something kind of dubious when you really look at it? Hmm. Well, I mean, okay. So it there's that connection, right? That That Thanksgiving pumpkin pie pumpkin pie spice all those scents i don't know um man we should have like we should be interviewing somebody who really loves a pumpkin pie pumpkin spice latte oh i thought you were gonna say we should interview someone who actually works in the food and beverage industry oh well there's that a marketing genius for that (laughs) i love pumpkin pie so if you want to talk to someone who loves pumpkin pie you're looking at it right here no (laughs) It, it is an interesting thing i think that you kind of I think that we sometimes put too much, like in any industry, right? We put too much pressure on ourselves to make a really good product, like high quality. If you can imagine me capitalizing these letters, capital H, capital Q, high quality product. And we think that if a marketing campaign doesn't work, that the product is inferior, that there's a problem with the product. And that's not always a bad guess because often products are inferior right like it is rare that you knock it out of the park even pros like i mean the the biggest example of course is new coke right right um but the whole point of anything the whole point of managing any product line is accepting that some are hits and some are misses 
and you can't really anticipate which is going to be which. And then once you get a hit, really running with it, right? Putting the right resources into that campaign and really doubling down on that. That is your brand now. And it's interesting because Starbucks almost pulled it, you said, right? Mm -hmm. Because it was not their brand. Can you imagine, right? Like I can definitely see how this applies to book writing. Can you imagine being so stubborn, so resistant to an idea that you go, well, that's not my brand. I'm not doing that really good idea. It's not my brand. And you could hear the tightness that starts to seep into your voice as you resist. You get stubborn and resist that, right? But if you are soft and open to out of, you know, off the wall, like we, in the last episode, we talked about bad ideas, throwing bad ideas on the wall, because there come some really good ideas. Trial some bad ideas. Trial some things that are off brand. You might hit upon something which is truly the next step for your brand. It is very interesting. You've been to Seattle, right? You've been mm-hmm. to the original Starbucks store. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense? Because that was years ago that you went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it was over 10, yeah, over 10 years ago. I think so. It was actually during the Olympics, so 2010. So nine years ago. Was the Vancouver Olympics in 2010? That sounds about right. No. No? I, I think so. I'll bet you a pumpkin spice latte. Yeah, fair enough. You don't think that... When we, when do you think the Vancouver Olympics were? I'm Googling it. The Winter Olympics? Yeah. 2008? No, 2008 was Nagano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vancouver 2010. Come on now. No, because 2008... Yeah. yeah, it was Vancouver 2010. So when was Nagano? Not you, 2010. Well, obviously, but it wasn't 2008 <laughs> either because it's every four years. Was it 2006 was Nagano? Uh, the, they were 1998. 1998? Wow. <laughs> you were way off. I was so off. I knew there was an eight in there. <laughs> <laughs> you used to be the Olympic this super fan. This is quality podcast material that you guys come to us for. Um... I did used to be the Olympic super fan. And then somewhere along the way, all the corruption lost me. Yeah. Yeah. So the Vancouver Olympics were 2010. I went to Seattle in 2010. Mm-hmm. You also got married in 2010. It was a very busy year. It was a very busy year. It was February uh, that we went. February. Oh, like, and like then earlier before your wedding. And right, then right. I got married in October. Right in the heart of pumpkin spice latte season. <laughs> and it all comes full circle. And we served everyone pumpkin spice lattes at the wedding. No, we didn't. What What are your thoughts about can marketing um, save a bad product? For example, could marketing save the Olympics? <laughs> There's that, a lot of marketing. That is above that goes, our pay grade. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's a separate podcast into itself. And also I'm afraid to piss off the uh, IOC or right. whatever they are called. Um, I truly do not believe that marketing can save. You have to have a, what, a decent product? A good product? There has to On be a, a scale of one to ten. <laughs> the, um, there has to be an appetite for it. And right. I think even more so. So if we go back like maybe 15 years ago in radio, um, we used to call it buying the book, which is when you do an ex- a very um, heavy outdoor TV radio campaign, um, you know, advertising campaign. So radio used to be rated in sort of eight week chunks and that would be called our ratings times. And that's when you would see the radio stations all of a sudden giving away really good prizes and all of a sudden they would be advertising themselves because radio doesn't need to ever, didn't used to have to advertise ourselves like other businesses because, you know, when, when we wanted to talk about something we were doing, we have 
100,000 listeners built in all the time. We have a megaphone. Mm -hmm. Whereas a a shoe store has to advertise themselves in all mediums. They can't just put out their shoes and be like, people, we've got shoes now. When we want to advertise our, like the best thing we have for radio is we have a built-in thing that people pay tons of money for. Like our business model is built on people giving us money to advertise their businesses on us. So we advertise ourselves as well through splitters and et cetera, et cetera. But we also then have to, you can't just preach the converted telling if, if we constantly go on the radio saying, Hey, remember us, we're playing the music that you love. Right. You're only listening to, yeah, that's your fan base. So then we finding new people. If we want to grow our, our audience, which everyone's trying to do, you do outdoor advertising right? or TV. Right. This I'm talking 15 years ago. So that was what buy the book meant. It was, yeah, we would. So if 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 um, in buy, a market you buy. Yeah, like you bought you right. bought the book, right? Because right. ratings is called the book. Oh, I get it. Okay, so if you bought the book, you just dumped so much money into your marketing campaign that your that your brand recognition was so so high, high that people were like, yes, yeah, I listened to that radio station. But maybe it cost you a lot of money to get that and was your return on investment there right, right. so th- but it's a got it's getting a lot harder to buy the book right for a couple of reasons uh, consolidation of media mm-hmm. so um you don't necessarily want to spend money on tv if your competition owns the tv station because tv advertising is very expensive and if it's owned by a company that also has radio stations it's running in all its unsold inventory it's running free spots for those radio stations so then for you to come in paying cash money right you know it still could be a drop in the bucket compared to the freebie they're giving to their their brother and sister radio stations and and tv like again radio is a very effective form of medium but we don't advertise ourselves on radio because no, we right. already do that. So yeah. then we have to look at the other mediums to advertise ourselves like on. Like magazines. Yeah, no. You no. Should, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, you really, your your choices are outdoor and digital. Like billboards. Yeah, so okay. bi- billboards. Oh, and then digital would be Facebook ads. Facebook Twitter, ads, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and just on the network, right? Because that's, you know, just all the sites. You're, oh, yeah. If there's Yeah, if you monetize your site and then you have, so you have a little banner that has rotating ads. That's yeah, the and ad network. So advertising in the digital space, you can go to premium brands. Um, that's not a brand. That's not a business. That's like you can go to like I work for Rogers, full disclosure. So you can go to us and say, we'll get you on all our premium brands Mm-hmm. As opposed to the open exchange, which is you could end up on any site. Right. Right. So you can do it that way. But most people do advertising through the open exchange where you don't really care where it's ending up. Yeah. You just want the eyeballs and you yeah. want to somewhat target it. Yeah. Right. But. And it is interesting. Once you start paying attention to ads, because often ads are subconscious, mm-hmm. right? We see them at the perimeter of the page that we're looking at, but we don't pay a ton of attention to them. I notice every so often when I see a book by an author I recognize out there in that random ad network. Um, And I think there are a couple of ways for authors to get there. Like, I mean, in theory, you could go to one of these ad agencies that has, you know, all these contracts, but there's minimum buys and stuff like that. That's generally not how authors get there. But Facebook ads will spill out to ad networks. Google AdWords will spill out to, to those ad networks on random sites um and every so often i'll be like hey i know that person i how did they get on this random website it's through this it's called network yeah the open exchange open exchange the open exchange and it's actually very cost effective right Mm -hmm. um and 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 very cool that you can do it yourself yeah right i mean there are people so so 
but if back to what we were talking about, um, anyone can spend money and advertise a product, but if a radio station doesn't have, um, if it's not at a point where it should be marketed yet, right. Marketing will only help so much and it's getting harder. It's getting so hard now because people have choices and they can find information. So what does that mean to you as somebody who's um, kind of on a team of mm-hmm. developing a radio station? They're not at the point yet. Does that mean like maturing a brand, having more content to pull from? Like, obviously you have to kind of talk in generalities. For sure. Do Is, is the product where it needs to be yet before you spend money on it? Right. This is really relevant to book stuff too. Right. And that's, and that's hard, you know, to, to, to sort of say to the team, I don't think we're ready yet. Right. Because there's a difference. Like often we think, um, am I doing this as a hobby or is this my job? And once it's my job, once I commit to that, then you want to think, oh, like I'm a professional. I'm, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go full bore at this whole hog I don't know exactly what the analogy yeah, yeah, is yeah. and 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 right. do it right but there is a period of time at the start of your professional development when it can absolutely backfire for you to put yourself out there to a broader cold audience right like a warm audience will let you get warmed up they'll let you mature in front of them but a cold audience they're not interested in that they want yeah, you're pointing at me. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it that is it's interesting. It it goes back to that what we talked about in the last episode, the million words, the 10,000 hours. And it's not that you have to wait until you've reached mastery to do any advertising to start putting your brand out there, but there is probably something to that really polished tight product. Um we definitely see this in writing where somebody has come uh, come out with one series and it's good. They get some fans, you know, they have 10 fans, a hundred fans, 500 fans, a thousand fans, and then they do another series and they kind of, it's the same, you know, and then they do a third series or a fourth series or standalone. And there's something tighter about it, right? The delivery is better. It's more on brand, more, you know, middle of that genre. They're hitting all of their tropes. They're really, it's fresh. It's different. It's a new take on something. And that is the book that you put money in, I think. Sometimes when we do marketing and then you're trying to always chase because it was so successful. Oh, yeah. And was it successful because of that marketing you did? Or was it the product? Or was it the timeline? Or was it the... Oh, and you, I'm sure you have lots of experience with this where everything just kind of clicks. And part of it is just that lightning strike of... Some of it is just that lightning strike of being right time, right place, you know, latching on to an opportunity, running with it. And there's something about the kind of the gold material that comes from running with something that when you try to recreate it, you're not running at the same speed with the same enthusiasm. If we take it back full circle, what was that Starbucks drink that went crazy? Was it the unicorn frappuccino? Yes, the unicorn frappuccino, which my... I don't know how old he would have been at the time. Nine-year-old at the time. He's 11 now. Um, he got one. It was only out for a day and a half. They said it was going to be a, a weekend-long four- or five-day event or something, and they sold out everywhere everywhere within a day or a day and a half. He got one. We went the first day. As soon as I saw it being talked about on Facebook, I knew he would want one. 
right? So, I mean, I don't even think Starbucks expected it to be as successful as it was. And they've never brought it back. No, well, they did bring like a dragon frappuccino. They did, which was not nearly as successful. But I think that there's no point. Like, unlike... And again, we don't work in this part of the industry, but I think that there's a difference between something like um, the pumpkin spice latte, which is bigger than itself, which which taps into a nostalgia for this particular season, autumnal love, blah, 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 um, and a unicorn frappuccino, which is more of a singular event. And man, like... Good marketing is figuring out which is which. And that was actually a stunt. The unicorn frappuccino was actually a stunt to launch their frappuccinos for the summer. Yeah. Because it was done right at that sort of May, end of school year. People are starting to. That was a stunt versus a product. Yeah. That they have now 17 years later. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what's been the most effective marketing that you've done for your books well i mean i do think that for like and i've talked about this uh in our um the four episodes that we have that are focused on backlist analysis um i really think that if you have a solid first book in series making it free reducing that barrier to entry for one thing it costs you nothing right so it's worth a try um and then if that is successful pouring money into that first book in series free earns you money down the line. Like I never make anything free out of the goodness out of my heart. Um, I definitely do it because I want to make money on that product in an unconventional way by earning down line from it. Um, so I think the first in series free um, has always worked. And then interestingly, you know, the ads, like some of the ad campaigns that have worked for me, because I don't do a lot of ads. It's not really something that Um, captures my attention most of the time or my interest but the ones that have worked for me have been the simplest hookiest concept like I had this one ad that I ran for almost a year and the line was love a man in uniform it didn't talk about books it I mean maybe in the subtext underneath it said something like 99 cent book or free book or something like that but the line was love a man in uniform and it worked for so long that ad ran with very low cost per click and very high return on investment until something shifted in the algorithm and then it just stopped being delivered and then I didn't bother to retarget it because again but that kind of thing like uh, did I do that deliberately I think that it was one of like 10 ads that I tried at the time yeah but I will always remember just how effective it was for such a nice chunk of time because of its simplicity but your marketing strategy is keep keep them coming in yeah by yeah build up an audience like we talked about cold audience and warm audience um build up a warm audience who have had zero barrier to entry it's like turning the radio on for free right yep um and then try to keep them by keep releasing stuff that is on brand um kind of more of the same more of the same but yeah that I, I just think that that low barrier to entry, zero barrier to entry, first in series free, it, it is a low risk marketing project. You know, like I could spend $10,000 on advertising a new book. It is a real gamble whether I'd get it back. I could buy, you know, so-called buy the book by buying a bestseller spot. But what would it get me if I don't have a quality product that people are actually reading? And there you go. There that you go. That's the yeah. bingo at the end. And, and, and. It's a bit of honesty, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's so much money. And then the other problem with like 
market consolidation, we definitely see this in publishing too. Um, like there are people who, there are people who make a lot of money in one place that spend that money to make it look like their books are doing really well. Um, people who run courses, people that have another job for whom they never need to make a single penny on their books. There was an interesting statistic or interesting quote about um, Harlequin, the the um, Canadian uh, iconic publishing company. Are they only Canadian? Well, they yeah they well they were Canadian. They were then bought by Harper Collins. Harper Collins is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Oh, right. So that talk about market consolidation of of, of media uh, companies. So in the same month that Rupert Murdoch bought Harlequin. He bought Harlequin, well, his a company inside Rupert Murdoch's empire, bought Harlequin for $350 million. So uh, um, HarperCollins bought Harlequin, so many H words, for $350 million, something like that. In the exact same month, that same parent company, so above HarperCollins, but Rupert Murdoch's empire, bought a real estate company you and I have never heard of, like a website, like Zillow, but not Zillow, um, for $900 million. What? Yeah. Which goes to show that at the topmost level of these giant companies, all publishing, all media is almost nothing compared to business right media like for us media is everything right we are like and and we operate on relatively small scales you work in a city right inside a company which has a parent company which right i sell books i'm one of a million people who sell romance novels on amazon um i am just my own little person you are just your own little person but to the billionaires who run everything publishing media magazines television radio it is all just another like line on the budget and there are some much bigger lines that we have like no awareness of but they are much more important they have much higher value and it's like oh man when you think of that because i like i know a lot of people who write for harlequin and you think you know it's very hard to believe that any of this like all like these little marketing things that you can do um are they are they making a huge difference or is it just happening because they happen to have a budget for that right we definitely like um i think anybody's ever worked for a company that has had an overall budget that you must spend by the end of the year yeah right you must match your budget you must burn it but not go over and if you don't spend it all you just you'll get less the following year right well, if that's the way your company is set up because it comes from down high, how do you know that what you're doing is actually having any benefit to your business? If your model is you write a book, you sell it for an advance and you just keep doing that, you only have a publishing career at the good graces of that company that is giving you that advance until they decide that they're not getting a good return on investment for that money. It's, you know, oh man, that's a dark place to take this <laughs> episode. But it is like when I realized that they bought some random real estate website for three times as much as Harlequin, which to me is an icon, a giant company that was founded in Toronto. You know, I'm like, man, 
you know? Anyway, that's... <laughs> but if we are our own, you know, what we are doing fuels your um, your household, right? Yep, absolutely. So yeah. it's taking care of your peace in the world. Absolutely. And you can only do... Here's the most important thing. Like, I don't want anyone to go, oh, no, doomsday from that. <laughs> the most important thing that I take away from that is that you... Like, if, if you're somebody who wants to sell a book to Harlequin for those advances, do it, right? Get that money while that money is good, right? But be nimble. Have a plan. What happens, right? If you, if you um, currently only write for one publisher, um, do you have a plan for when that opportunity shifts and no longer becomes viable? If you work for a radio station and mm-hmm. that radio station were to rebrand and you were to be packaged out, what would you do next? how transferable are your skills what do you what else do you have enthusiasm for what else can you write right what other music can you create what you know what other jobs can you do that that isn't just like a backup now we have all all of us have worked jobs to just pay the bills right but if we can take shifts in our career as opportunities instead of setbacks right absolutely that's the goal that's always the goal because the reality is in 2019 none of us are doing one thing for the next 40 years that's just not the reality um so so if at any point you were like okay well if i were to be let go tomorrow or if i were to not get another contract tomorrow how would i level up right how would i glow up in this situation instead of being knocked back Hopefully we'll talk about that in another episode. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Sister Cast.